0: This morning, I, I hope that the uh, missions uh, global outreach uh, conference was a, a great time for you this week. That you were able to to take advantage of some opportunities to listen to some of our global outreach partners and be excited about their ministry of reconciliation. And hopefully, you got a chance to to be excited about those things. I encourage you to turn to Second Corinthians five, Second uh, Corinthians five, verses eighteen through twenty-one. We began looking at it last week as we talked about this ministry that God has entrusted to us, this ministry of reconciliation and of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ uh, through uh, through our, the, this missions ministry, and so hopefully uh, you've been thinking about this week, and if you're able to, I'd invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together, as we stand in honor of God, as we read his word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And begin in verse 17, kind of give us a little bit of the context. We looked at verses 18 and 19 last week, and we'll be talking about our response to this reconciliation this morning, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, these truths that we're looking at this morning are, are glorious truths and My prayer for our our church this morning would be that we see the the glory and the beauty of these truths and there is an excitement about this ministry of reconciliation uh, to which you've called us. And we pray that you would make our hearts soft. Father, if there are those here this morning who have not received forgiveness through faith in your son Jesus, I pray that they would this morning trust in him as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that all of us as we think about the reconciliation that's taken place in our lives, would have a burning passion to proclaim to others the, the mystery of the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Last week, we asked the question, what is missions? And we talked about at our church, we talked a little bit about how to answer that question in terms of talking about the goal of missions. What is missions? And at Bethany Community Church, the goal of missions is that we would plant and strengthen, establish local churches. We believe that the task of the church is to plant and strengthen other local churches. We believe that the local church is the means by which God tells people about himself We believe the mission of our church is to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and to prepare people to worship him forever. And so in missions, we say, okay, we want other local churches to exist that are proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and preparing people to worship him forever. So we're going to work to, to throughout the world, see churches that are dedicated to that ministry. And so that's kind of the the goal of missions, the the ultimate goal, to to see Christ worshipped through the church to strengthen and establish other local churches. But as we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, we kind of got a little bit more specific as we talked about the task of missions, how we, we go about doing that. And as we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, we kind of arrived at this definition of missions, that missions is the ministry of proclaiming the good news that a person can be reconciled to God. Missions is the ministry, we said last week, of proclaiming the good news that a person can be reconciled to God. And we talked about several different aspects of that definition. So, for example, the idea that it's, it's not just a one-time event, but it's a ministry. It's an ongoing commitment to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't just hand someone a track and say, yeah, I've done missions. No, missions is a ministry. It's an ongoing commitment to people to proclaim to them the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's, there's proclamation to it. We talked about that as well. It's not just me going someplace and doing something nice for some people. That's not the essence of missions. Missions must have with it the goal of proclaiming a message of reconciliation. And we talked about reconciliation, what it means to be reconciled to God. And in fact, we looked at verses 18 and 19 last week, and we, we said this. We said, the ministry of missions begins with God reconciling us to Himself and, and so we said, Okay, if we're gonna talk about missions, there's there's a group of people that, that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not going to begin by talking about how we proclaim the gospel to them. We're not going to talk about Methods and techniques and things like that. We're going to begin where Paul begins here by talking about how we get reconciled to God. Missions begins as God reconciles us to Himself, and we talked about a lot of different things here, and you don't need to write all these these down again. But uh, you know, God initiated reconciliation. We didn't start reconciliation. God did. God reconciled us through Christ, not through our works, that God then gave us a ministry of reconciliation. We also talked about how God reconciled us to himself, or God reconciled the world. It's not just uh, Jews. All people are reconciled to God or have the opportunity to be reconciled to God, how God reconciled us to himself. There's this idea of relationship through reconciliation. And then we said this. We said that God reconciled us. How? Well, in verse 19, it says, "By, by not counting our sins against us. we kind of wrestled with that question. How can God do that? How can God not count our sins against us? So we talk more about that this week. Because this week we we move into this this task of, okay, I understand that I'm going to people not as someone who is superior to others who don't know the Lord, but as, as one who has been reconciled to God. And so now I take this message of reconciliation where we're focusing on, on, on doing that, on proclaiming the gospel, talking to others about how, not, not just how I was reconciled to God, but how they can be reconciled to God. And I would suggest to you that if, if you're like me, this is a very difficult thing to do. I struggle with it and I imagine that, that you struggle with it as well. Sometimes it's hard to know what to say. So we we have this this good news of reconciliation, and we have some some people over here who who don't know the Lord. And so okay, I, I know that I, I need to tell them. But but what exactly is it that I say? And, and we struggle with with what to say. What what do we tell a person? so that they can know how to place their faith in, in Jesus Christ. It can be kind of overwhelming sometimes. Or, or maybe, not only do we not know what to say, but we're afraid of, of what's going to happen when we say it. How are those people going to view us? What is it going to do to our relationship? What sort of consequences will we face as we share that message? And then sometimes it's just, I don't I struggle sometimes with just discouragement and feeling ineffective yeah, I'm going to say some things to these people, but they're not going to respond anyway. I can remember feeling this way many years ago when I was a youth pastor. We we took a group of kids to uh, St. Louis for a, a Six Flags trip, and then we went to a Cardinals baseball game, and we we, we went to the, the game. And I can remember sitting next to a, a young man who didn't know the Lord. He, he wasn't a Christian. And I can remember us sitting through and, and talking through several innings about the gospel and, and just feeling like, man, this is completely ineffective. And I, I love this kid. I, I want good things to happen to him. I want him to place his faith in Jesus Christ, but it was just nothing. You know, I went back to the hotel room and I just felt very discouraged. What, I just, what could I have said differently? And maybe those are things that you've struggled with as well. Here's what I want us to talk about this morning as we talk about the ministry of missions and what it is in regards to reconciliation. What we see this morning is that the the ministry of missions continues as we plead with others to be reconciled to God. So the, mission, the, the ministry of missions begins as I'm reconciled to God, but it continues as now I plead with others to be reconciled to God. And there, there's three things that I think are helpful for us to remember that are going to help us and I hope encourage you as you embrace this ministry that God has called you to. The first thing to remember is who we are. It's who we are in verse 20. And so look at the text with me, if you would, and look at what Paul writes, what he tells us about who we are. He says there in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, now what does that mean when Paul says that we're ambassadors an ambassador in Paul's day was a person who'd be sent by a, a ruler or a king to another ruler or a king or a person in a position of authority. And so this ambassador would would go and would take a message from one king to another king or one ruler to the king or the emperor or something like that. And, and the the goal of an ambassador was... To foster relationship in some sort of context, maybe there was a, a breach of relationship, and so this ambassador was going to to try to bring reconciliation, or maybe there was some sort of disagreement, and he was going to try to bring peace there, so or maybe they was just trying to establish a friendship. so this ambassador would go to a, a ruler or to the king or the emperor, and he 'd serve on the behalf of another and in paul 's day, the way that you received the ambassador revealed what you thought about the person who was sending him. And so, if an ambassador came into your, your court and you treated him well, it was like you were treating the person who sent him well. And if you insulted the ambassador or somehow did something to, to shame him, it was like you were shaming the person who sent him. And Paul says here look, uh, what you need to understand is that we are ambassadors, we're not kings. We don't go to other people and say, now here's, let me tell you what I think you should do. Here's here's my plan for your life. We we go as ambassadors. We're not arrogantly giving other people our opinion, but we're humbly giving them God's message. And he says, we're ambassadors, and who are we ambassadors for? We're ambassadors, the text says, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Uh, When we speak, it's like we're speaking for God, or at least it should be like that the content of my message should reflect the intent and the heart of the person who's sending it, right? I don't know, it was maybe like a week and a half ago. Uh, my daughter wasn't uh, feeling very well and uh, I was in the kitchen as, as I often am fixing the family dinner. I, I don't know why you guys are laughing at that. Um, that's not how I worded it at first service when my wife was in the room, but uh I was there in the kitchen uh making my specialty of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for everyone. And uh as we're as we're preparing, I, I see my son there and, and I tell him, uh, hey, will you will you please go tell your your sister wasn't feeling well? Why don't you see how she's doing it and tell her I'd like her to come down for supper if if she's if she's feeling better. And he goes, Sure. And so he runs off and I can hear him run up the stairs gets outside of a room and yells, dad says, get down right now, you know, didn't quite reflect the, the tone that I really wanted to in that, right, he didn't really represent me the way I wanted to be represented, and it's a bigger deal when it deals with international disputes, right, you think uh, several years ago whenever uh, President Bush, the, the, during the, the second President Bush During his term where he had a secretary of state, Colin Powell, who sometimes was at odds with other members of the administration. They were at odds with him. And sometimes when people were speaking, you weren't sure, okay, is this a unified voice? Or how do different people feel? What's the administration really think here? And it, it could be problematic, right? So Paul says, look, we're ambassadors. We don't speak on our own. We speak for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And there's also some irony here. There's some irony because Paul is an ambassador and an ambassador in this culture, remember, is is supposed to be treated well, but Paul is treated like his king is treated. Remember what Jesus says in John 15. John 15 verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And so Paul is an ambassador of Christ, and people treat Paul, the way they treated Christ. He's a good ambassador, in other other words. Paul refers to himself in Ephesians as an ambassador in chains. As he's in prison, he's he's an ambassador. He's speaking on behalf of Christ. Now, Now, what's the implications here? As we think about who we are in this ministry of proclaiming a message of reconciliation to others... What's the implication of thinking about who we are? That the fact that we're ambassadors, we speak on behalf of Christ. Here's one implication that, that I think of. One implication of this truth is that I have to be willing to say what God wants me to say. As I embrace this ambassadorship, I, I have to be willing to, to, to passionately say the things that, that God wants me to say. In 1 Thessalonians two thirteen, Paul is talking to the people in Thessalonica, the church there, and, and he says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For people to accept my words as the words of God means that I need to understand what God says and get his message right. I must be willing, as I think about the the situations in which God has divinely placed me, the relationships in which God has divinely placed me, I must say, okay, God has placed me here for whatever reason so that I would speak his words so in this, in this family unit, or in this workplace environment, or with this social group of, of people, these friends, God has placed me here so that I would be one who speaks his words. God has not placed me there to be a king, to kind of do what I want, to speak my own words. God has divinely placed me in these relationships so that I be his ambassador. God has placed you in your workplace, not for your own greatness, but so that you would speak his words. I need to know what he wants me to say. I, mean, I, need, I need to be willing to, to say it. And here's another implication. Here's another implication. I, I need to be willing to suffer when I say it. If I'm going to be an ambassador, I need to realize that people are going to treat me the same way they treated my king. Paul would tell Timothy all in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3, all who de- desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. Now, may it always be the case that you and I are persecuted not because we're unpleasant people, but because people hate Christ. In other words, may not be because they hate us and our actions, but but ultimately because they hate Christ, right? Here's what Amy Carmichael wrote in a, a beautiful little poem Hast thou no scar? She writes, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent, leaned against the tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole, can he have followed far, who has no wound, no scar. So true, right? If I'm going to be an ambassador, who I am, my my identity is an ambassador. I've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And is it possible that I followed my Lord very far if I have no scars from proclaiming his good news? Here's another thing to remember. Not only do we need to remember who we are, we, we need to remember what we do. What do we do? I have this, this ministry of missions it continues. I plead with others to be reconciled to God. I think about who I am, and, and then I remember what we do. Listen to what he says in the second part of verse twenty. He says, "We implore you, we we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God." He says, "I I, I beg, I, I entreat." That's what that word implore means. I I I, I, I I'm just earnestly desiring for you to be reconciled to God. Now, I believe he's he's writing here to the church in Corinth. And as you come to the end of 2 Corinthians, you realize, in 2 Corinthians 13, that he's he's not sure that all of them are, are even believers. And so he's he's writing to a church here, but he's talking to people and giving them an evangelistic imploring to, to be reconciled because some of them aren't. And even if they are, they haven't applied it rightly. Okay? And so he says... I implore you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That word implore is the same word we encounter in Luke 9, 38, where someone comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I, I beg you, I implore you to look at my son for he's my only child. Now, if you're like me, there has to be some sort of inner motivation to, to get you to do things sometimes, right? Especially like interpersonally i 'm someone who, in many situations i, I don 't like to ask for things. I was in a, a parking lot on thursday this this last week, and you know there 's all this this construction going on in washington I, I pull into uh, the blend the, the coffee shop parking lot here in washington and and uh, Ellie and I are, are out for a little uh, daddy daughter time and I, I get out of the car and I, I notice that, something, that the, the car made a weird sound, and, and so I come around side and sure enough, the, the tire is flat. And I had uh, just purchased a new tire jack, and so I open up the trunk and I I get it out of the, the box and I begin to kind of look at the different parts and I realize there's there's no there's no uh, lug wrench here. There's there's no way to get the the bolts off the tire. Now, I'm in a parking lot of the blend. I can walk through those doors and half of you are probably inside drinking coffee. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to go in there and ask people, for, ask people to get a lug wrench or whatever. I'm just going to sit here and maybe the tire will fix itself, right? So, I, you know, I, I ended up uh, texting someone. But, you know, there's just that feeling of, oh, I just feel really uncomfortable and yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do. There has to be something inside us that, that motivates us to, to get out of our comfort zones, right? And for me, that takes a lot. So what happens with Paul here? What does he do? He's imploring people. He's going to people he, he doesn't know sometimes, people who don't like him because of the message that he delivers. And he's imploring them, hey, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Now, now what, what compels that? What, what causes him to be willing to do that? Well, I believe it's because he recognizes on whom behalf he's speaking. There's this inner compulsion that drives him to speak Christ's words because God loves those people, and by extension, so does Paul. We, beho- we implore you, on behalf of Christ, we're an ambassador. It's going to be expensive and a burden at times. It's not a job... That one always wanted, but Paul here considers it a privilege. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, now what are the implications here? There's many. There's many as we think about what we do. There's this implication. I have to have this compulsion, this, this inner this inner motivation to, to get out there and tell people the gospel. There's kind of two things, at least, that I think is important for us to think about. One I must decrease. I must decrease. If I'm going to do this ministry, I've got to decrease significantly. In terms of my own pride, in terms of my own esteem, I I must greatly decrease. And, And let me suggest to you that this is something that, this is something that the contemporary North American evangelical church really struggles with. I mean, sometimes even as we engage and say, okay, my, my mission is to implore people to reconcile the God. Even as we do that, we're, we're tempted to do it in such a way that, that we increase. I got a letter in the, the mail at the church office this, a uh, couple weeks ago that was, as I read it, I don't know what their motivation was, but it's, it's a letter kind of talking about, hey, here's pastor. Here's how you can expand your ministry and your influence and your messages can be broadcast in all these different places. And I thought, man, that, that appeals to, I think, the, the wrong thing. And, and I think the, the contemporary evangelical church, even as we talk about doing missions, it's very much about how do we, how do we increase as we proclaim Christ? And it just can't be done. I can't engage in missions in in such a way that Bethany Community Church is exalted. I can't engage in missions in such a way that that Daniel Bennett becomes the focus and the the person who's exalted. I, I, and and you, must decrease. If I'm going to say rightly, I'm going to implore others on behalf of Christ, it means I must recognize that I need to decrease. My my wishes, my desires, my needs, all those things shrink. (laughs) And what's the other implication then? It's as John the Baptist said it. I must decrease so that he can increase. I must decrease and he must increase. That's the other implication. He's the essence of the message. I'm imploring people on behalf of Christ. I want them to see his beauty and his glory and his worth. That's what we do. Now here's Here's the struggle. We're here in uh, chapter 5, and and we've said last week that we get reconciled to God. In verse 19, Looking at the text with me if you would. Verse 19, it says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now that's, I I told you that's a hard part of the passage to grasp, and it's it's something we're going to, I I said last week, come back to, and now we're coming back to it, because here's the issue. I I know that I have this, this task of an ambassador. I need to, to talk to this group of people who don't know Christ, either as individuals or as a group. I, I need to proclaim Christ to them. And I, I know that that's, that's what I want to do. I want to implore them hey, be reconciled to God. The, the problem is, like me, they're sinners. And they need to be reconciled to God. Now, how in the world, th- this is the question how in the world does a righteous God not look at our sin? How does he, verse 19, not count our trespasses against us? How can that work? And as I'm, if I'm going to go to those people and tell them, hey, you're, you're sinners and God wants to be reconciled to you. He's a perfectly righteous God. What do I say? And that's the third thing that we need to remember. What, what do we say? Let's talk about what we say and remember what we say here. It's verse 21. In verse 21, Paul writes, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we sang earlier, that, that great song, all things in me call for my rejection. When I was in high school, we were in Sunday school class and the teacher, as, as he taught, talked about the, he was talking about the gospel message and, and he, he said this, he said, now, would one of you be willing to come up here in in front of your friends and pretend like I'm someone who who doesn't know Christ and would one of you be willing to share the gospel with me? And I've, I've thought about that conversation many, many times because I'll tell you, as I sat in my chair and that offer was extended, I can remember thinking, Lord please don't let him call me up there. I don't know what I would say. Now, I was a believer. I'd placed my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation. But the idea of okay, now I now I've got in front of a group of people say And and, and talk to someone about how they can become Christian. I I don't know what I'd say. There's all these different thoughts that kind of jumbled in my mind and I could look at my my friends and I could tell most of them were thinking the same thing that that I was thinking and then one brave soul eventually did volunteer to do it and, and it went kind of poorly honestly. So what if I did that this morning? What if I said, okay, would someone be willing to come up here and have a dialogue with me and share the gospel with me? How many of you would say, yeah man, I'm totally would be all about that and how many of you would say oh please Daniel don't call on me so here's what I'm going to do no I'm just kidding I don't trust no but it's important right and maybe you're thinking too I I don't know what I would say but guys and, and ladies we have been given this ministry of reconciliation I mean here we are and here's a group of people and we're we're called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and we need to know what to say verse 21 contains what we need to say what do we say? There's a couple things we need to say. And by the way, to understand this passage, notice that the first half of the verse is parallel with the second half. So the first half talks about what happened to Jesus Christ, and the second half talks about now what happens to us. So let me, here's the first thing. Here's the first thing we tell people. We tell people, firstly, that they need God's righteousness because they are sinners. And here's kind of a little diagram to, to understand what's taking place here in this verse. This is what we need to be able to communicate to people. Look, Christ is righteous and and we are sinners. For someone to understand the message of reconciliation, they need to know that, that something's happened in their relationship with God that requires reconciliation. And so we need to communicate to people that they're sinners and that shouldn't be a very hard thing to do. Although sometimes when we think about being sinners, we think, well, yeah, sometimes, you know, I've done some really bad things, but I've done some really good things too. And I think even just telling a person, look, think about the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And think about how you, you fail in just those two greatest commandments on a moment by moment basis. We are sinners. That's an important message to communicate to a person if they're to receive the gospel. And then the second thing that we tell people is we tell people, look, um, Christ was punished for your sin. And look what it says here. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin. So we think here about this this we're sinners and Christ is righteous and, and now what the text tells us is that God made Christ sin and what it means is that he, he looked upon Jesus Christ as as sinner. He took our sin and placed upon Christ and Christ suffered for it. Now, how was Christ able to do this? Well, he's the one The text tells us who knew no sin. Who was Christ? He was the Son of God, God himself, fully God, fully man, and completely righteous. Acts 3.14 says Christ was the holy and righteous one. 1 Peter one nineteen talks about the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish. Verse 22 of 1 Peter 2 says that Christ committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. In 1 Peter three eighteen, it refers to the, the righteous for the unrighteous. 1 John 3, 5, we looked at last year, you know that he, that is Jesus, appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. So Jesus Christ, perfect righteousness, and what the text tells us is that God took him, the only one that could pay the penalty for our sin, and he looked at Christ and says, okay, I'm, I'm taking our sin, taking take Daniel's sin and, and imputing that to Christ, that's a theological term, imputing it. It's, it's counting Jesus Christ as though he were the sinner and Christ suffering for me. Now, that's, that's the second thing to remember. Now, as we look at this, this diagram, you think, well, now my sin has been dealt with. He's taken my sin and made Christ's sin, and Christ suffers the penalty for my sin, so, so I'm okay now, right? That's not right. There's something else that needs to take place. And, and this is so important to understand, brothers and sisters. It's not enough that I be counted not a sinner. It's not enough just for my sin to be removed. I need something. This is what we, we see at the beginning of Romans again, right? I need righteousness. I need righteousness. And this is the third thing that we tell people is that we can receive christ's righteousness we can receive christ's righteousness we see it first corinthians 130 because of him you are in christ jesus who became to us wisdom from god became to us righteousness sanctification and redemption so now, not only does Christ take our sin and suffer the penalty for it, and only he could because he's, he's perfect righteousness, now, just like our sin was credited, credited to his account and he suffered for it, now, and this is the, the miracle of the gospel, now I can receive not just have my sin dealt with, but now God takes that righteousness that's not mine and credits that to my account. So my sin gets credited to Christ and he suffers for it because only he can. And his righteousness comes to me and God looks at me and sees Christ's righteousness. If I'm going to tell the good news to people, I need to tell them, look, you're sinners. You're separated from God just like I was. Christ paid the penalty for your sins, but you can receive his righteousness. Now, what's, what's the last thing we need to make sure we tell people? there's other ways to say this, but the last thing we need to talk to people about is is how, how this can take place. How is it that Christ can pay the penalty for my sin and I can receive his righteousness? How can that be? And the answer is what? It's through faith. It's through faith. We tell people how they receive Christ's righteousness through faith alone. Now, it's important to get what faith is right. See, what I'm saying here is that we're talking about justification. We're talking about how I can be declared righteous before God. And what I'm telling you, and this is so important to understand, is that when I say that we are righteous, this righteousness we need, you understand, right, that that, that righteousness comes all from Christ, not from us. And we have friends, uh, you know, maybe who are part of, of other other uh, denominations or other other sects, the... I think, for example, of our our Roman Catholic friends who I believe get this terribly wrong. And it's it's a big deal. And there's a potential if we get this wrong that we can miss the gospel altogether. Miss out on eternal life altogether. You see... Sometimes people will say this, well, this righteousness, I I get this righteousness, and, and then this righteousness kind of changes me, and then I start doing works, and eventually I can be declared just before God. And what I'm telling you is, no, no, that's not the case. The gospel, the good news, is that I get a righteousness that none of it is mine, none of it is related to works, I receive it all through faith. And on the basis of Christ's righteousness, not my own, God declares me just so for example, Philippians 3.9 says we want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? How does this righteousness come? What does it depend on? Faith. It depends on faith. So brothers and sisters, if we're going to take this ministry of reconciliation to people, we need to tell them, look, you can receive this righteousness from God. You can have your sins paid for by placing your faith in Christ. And as you say that, even, people can misunderstand it, right? Because a person might say this, well, I'm going to place my faith in Christ. I know, I, mean, I think I already have, because I, I know a lot of things about Jesus. Or I, my faith is in Christ because I was, I was baptized. Or my faith is in Christ because I was at a crusade and someone said, stand up. And so I stood up. So I guess my faith is in Christ. What is faith? Faith isn't just saying some prayer. Faith isn't just knowing a lot of facts about Jesus. Faith is is placing my my trust in him. Placing my trust in him for my eternal life. And, And brothers and sisters, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot be saved. You cannot be reconciled to God Unless you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, trusting in Him alone for your salvation. And that's why it's so important to get this message not just kind of right, but exactly right. As we think about what faith is, sometimes we use the word repentance. Scripture uses the word repentance as well. And so when we talk about what placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We're saying, okay, I recognize that what I've been doing isn't right. What, I, what I've been doing isn't the, the way that, uh, that leads to eternal life. And so I'm deciding to turn from that and place my faith in Jesus. It's what we see in Isaiah 55, where it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So what happens is I recognize that I'm I'm on a a path that leads to eternal destruction. I'm I'm relying upon my own dead works. And I say, you know what? This isn't the path that leads to life. And so I decide to turn from those things and to place my trust in Jesus Christ alone. Say, okay, God, I'm calling upon you for salvation. I'm trusting your son, Jesus Christ only. See, sometimes we think of repentance as a bunch of works that we do and and nothing, that's not the case. Works flow from repentance, but repentance is saying, okay, this is, I recognize that this is wrong. I no longer want to pursue this and I'm, I'm turning from this and turning to faith in Christ. In Acts 20, it talks about Paul proclaiming the gospel, testifying of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. Hebrews 6.1 talks about not laying again the foundation, this, this foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So, I see these dead works somebody saying, I'm, like, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm turning from, I'm deciding to turn from that and to place my faith in Jesus Christ. So many implications of this, right? One obvious implication would, would be that if, if you haven't, you need to believe the gospel. If you've been relying upon some sort, of, some sort of righteousness that comes from yourself, or you say, well, I know Christ is righteous, and I know I'm a sinner, but I know I can kinda, Christ can kind of give me some help. That's not how it works, right? What we see here in verse 21 is, is that it, it's all Christ's righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become righteousness. So we might have righteousness not from ourselves, but from Christ. And so if you haven't believed the gospel, you need to believe the gospel then what's the other implication of course we as we become the righteousness of god as we receive this righteousness that's foreign to ourselves from from jesus christ we receive it by faith we've been given this incredible opportunity to be ambassadors to proclaim this this joyous good news that others can be reconciled to god a few years ago I was talking with a friend and she was talking about something that happened recently at a, an FCA meeting at, at the school, at the high school. And she goes, do you remember that? There's this, and she mentioned this, this kid's name. And I said, oh yeah, I remember that kid. I sat next to him at a, at a Cardinals baseball game. She goes, yeah, I know. She goes, he was at FCA and he was sharing his testimony. He's become a Christian. He said, I heard the gospel at a baseball game I went back to my room and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I never knew that. I, I, and I wouldn't have known if I had just run to this person on the street. Who had happened to be around for that young man's testimony. We don't know what God is going to do with this, this ministry he's entrusted to us. And you know what? That's okay. It's his anyway. But what God has called us to do, and I think he graciously gives us glimpses of of the fruit of that, but God said, you know what, you're my my ambassador. Here are the words that I want you to say. I want you to be compelled by a love for me and a a love for others, and I want you to speak on behalf of me, and I want you to proclaim the ministry of reconciliation. And, And brothers and sisters, God has divinely placed you in places that he hasn't placed me. He's divinely placed me in places that he hasn't placed you so that we could proclaim his news. His message, His message of reconciliation. I'm going to ask the, the men to come forward to begin to, to uh, prepare to pass out the, the elements of the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, I'd like you to think about the, this reconciliation that God has, has done through us. And I want you to ask God, first of all, if you're not a believer, we encourage, you to, uh, we encourage believers to partake of the Lord's Supper. But, but if you're a believer and you're partaking of the Lord's Supper, we would we'd ask you to, to, to think about this. You know, God, as I think about the blood that was shed for me, that the body that was broken for me, so that, so that I could receive eternal life, the suffering that took place for me as Christ became sin, so that I could receive righteousness. I ask God to reveal to you, who, who Father, would, would you have me take this message to? And ask God to give you the strength, the ability to do that. Let me pray for us. And Father, we do thank you for this this ministry of reconciliation you've entrusted to us by your divine grace. And we pray that as we take this message of reconciliation to others, uh, you would help us to be faithful in that. We pray that hearts would be soft and you would receive uh, glory as we receive eternal life. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.